Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Warning. The Outsider's Edge contains strong opinions, unconventional views, and contrarian stances. Listen, if you dare. Hey, yo. Normally, I would start off these shows by saying we give all deference to the Tongans. However, I think it would be apropos for me to start this show a bit more somber. Uh, This week, we lost Brody Lee. And, uh, well, it's been a few days now, actually. And so, uh, with giving reverence and respect to him today, I'd like to start this week's episode of The Outsider's Edge with a little bit of an in-memoriam for Brody Lee. So, you guys listening to me now, you know who I am. This is Rance, a.k.a. Ray Cash. Let me introduce the panel, and uh, let's tell some Brody stories first. I got Kyle and Carl with me as normal. Gentlemen, what's going on? Uh, yeah, 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 man. Uh, it's good to be here. I uh, hate that we have to be memorializing Brody, but um, I love Brody, and I love Luke Harper. So, you know, happy to talk about him for a little bit. Carl, go ahead. Uh, what's going on, guys? Um, <clears throat> missed y'all last week with uh, Christmas and everything, but yeah, it's kind of uh, it's a sad note. Nothing we want to, nothing we ever wish to start with. But um, I think we'll all have good things to say about him, and so you know, we'll try and do him justice. And we have a special guest with us today. Um, he is, if Greg is Mister Chairshot, then he is Mister Chairshot Junior. Um, one of the foremost voices and um, pins on the chair shot uh, 
Media Network. We have Mr. Andrew Balaz. What's up, brother? You know, it's really weird not to be introduced as Snowflake or Balls, but, you know, I'll take it. it it's kind of nice to hear my name actually said. And uh, It would be yeah. really messed up if I called you that trying to be somber. Like, we'll call you all that once we get to the getting... Like, I mean, right now, you, you know who I'm used to dealing with. So the, the get to the get never stops. And then it's Fair just enough. like, but no, all due respect. And like that, That's kind of usually how the conversation Fair enough. goes. Yeah. But yeah, so starting it off somber. It, it's crazy because, you know, everybody says wrestling is one of those those jobs, those forms of entertainment where you're used to the performers dying at a younger age. But this is severely younger and much more abruptly than I think anybody could have asked for or thought of. It is well, now. It is now. Like, that was the thing that really struck me about it in the moment when we were listening to all those memorials and we were seeing all of the things that people were saying. Like, it just struck me that 20 years ago, this happened a little bit more frequently 30 years ago and 40 years ago, shit like this happened all the time. And Brody would have been different in that it was at least an illness and not like something darker because sure. wrestling has been mm -hmm. perpetually haunted by these like tragic and dark premature deaths. And sure. Brody's death is every bit as tragic when you think about he was only 41 years old, he had two very young children and a wife that, by all accounts, were the center of his universe. Wrestled three months ago. Wrestled three months ago is legitimately, and AEW reminded you of this fact over and over and over again in their really powerfully done tribute show, he was one of the top five, ten guys in that company from a singles standpoint and from a hierarchy standpoint. Um, so like this hit for me, this hit probably as hard as any death since Eddie. So, um, for me, I'm going to say that I don't typically, and this is going to sound, this is going to sound kind of, I don't know, insensitive in general about me and my personality. Probably. I don't typically get worked up over like when a wrestler dies. And I know that sounds ridiculous. Uh, but a lot of them in the past, it's, it's, like you said, mentioned before, a lot of it's very dark and I've never really gotten emotional. A lot of that is because in my life, I've never handled death very well, really reconciled the deaths that I've had in my own family and things like that. Like the way you probably should, I probably need to go to see a therapist. Anyways, besides that, this is actually the most I've ever like gotten legitimately upset about a death for someone that I didn't follow the career necessarily hardcore, but a lot of it is because of how close it hits to home. He's 41 years old. I'm 35. I'll be 36 and later this year. I've got two young children. I've got a wife. They are the center of my universe. I have had life-threatening illnesses. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of stuff that when it happens, you have no choice but to put it in perspective and realize that life is so very fragile. Time is so very short and that you need to make the best of everything you possibly can so that his death really, really struck with me even though someone like Eddie Guerrero, who I think is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time and was absolutely in love with, didn't affect me as much, if that makes sense. It's just more on a personal level, this hit harder for a variety of reasons. And because I'm getting older 
and you start noticing those things as you get older, you start paying more attention to stuff like this. So yeah, you, you, you hit it on the head. It's a different generation. It's a different time. Eddie died in what? 2006. Yeah. So yeah, here we are 2020. That's 15 years ago, man. So you were, we were, you would say you're 35. Now you were 20. Just yeah. starting to be an adult. Yeah. yeah, I was 16 when Eddie died. And it's just, you know, that's why Brody's death, what struck me is I'm just like, for the youngest generation of wrestling fans, this is their first experience of big name death. And American, like, yes. American, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. For American wrestling fans, this is for that youngest generation. This is their first experience of a big name who's active. Yeah. Passing away. Because we have, I'm sorry, Kyle, go ahead. No, no, you were right. You're probably going to say the same thing I was going to say. So go ahead. I just wanted to shout out. We have lost some non-American wrestlers in some very tragic ways recently over the past decade or so. Masawa, Paraguayo. So, you know, there have been. Shad, we got to let's let's talk about how, you know, like it tore a lot of us up. But like Shad was another one this year who died in tragic circumstances at an incredibly young age. Speaking of that, so the one takeaway from this for me um, that you guys haven't touched on, and it blew me away, is, you know, I'm, I am a- amazed at the level of emotion. This man touched so many people to not be a superstar, to not be, you know, a top guy. Everybody has a Brody story. Everybody is telling something that he did for them or to them or how he lifted them up. And I mean, it's it's akin to when Owen died or when when Eddie died in terms of impact. And he was nothing close to them in terms of what he was on screen or you know what I mean so that goes to show you that tells me something about him that the measure of the man is we don't think about it often but the measure of the man is quite frankly much bigger and much deeper than what the man can do for you that was what actually hit me the hardest out of everything that happened because if you listen or read anything I write or do on chair shot I'm not a big AW fan and, you know, Luke Harper in WWE didn't really do anything for me. Not not to shit on his name. I'm going somewhere with this. But, and so when it, when it happened, it didn't really strike me to my core from a, wow, he was a big name or wow, this, that, the other thing. What hit me was just the, the tidal wave of stories and outpouring and just showing how good of a guy he was. And all in all... We're all we're all humans. It's a job. And when you're interacting with people constantly, and the fact that he went out of his way to acknowledge extras, acknowledge dark workers, acknowledge, you know, jobbers, bumpers, whatever the hell their job happened to be. And then he'd have a little road story with somebody on an indie or ROH or whatever, like anybody with the name, even no matter what the size is, just local to an indie in like Mississippi or whatever or WWE or AEW or across the world everybody seemed to care about John Huber 
not necessarily Brody Lee, Luke Harper. And to me, that was that was more interesting because as much as everybody loves Eddie for being a great wrestler, most people still have a way of going. Eddie was shitty up until he got clean and then he became a good guy and realized how much of an asshole he was being or Mm -hmm. you know owen was cool because he'd play jokes and he'd rib everybody and he was he was a great friend and a great dude but not to this level of just reaching out and touching everybody and trying to instruct or trying to like even marco stunt like i i don't care for him too much either but like the fact that he told the story about getting the text from brody after he got a concussion like somebody he barely interacted with at that time because he wasn't in the company that long reached out enough to be like hey you're hurt do this you know how you feeling this is what you do you'll come back you'll be fine like he doesn't need to do that especially when it's people he doesn't interact with or doesn't know very well like he didn't just stay to his little circle like everybody he treated like family and that I just think says mountains more than any career, any number of titles, any anything you know equated by AEW, WWE, or championship belts ever could. Because he he's a better person than I could ever dream to be. So there's um there's a um I'm sorry, Kyle. Oh, go ahead, go go go. go okay, I, yeah, I was just gonna say this is gonna sound kind of corny when it comes out of my mouth probably and i can't remember who it was i heard talk about this maybe one of you guys have heard it before but there's like this saying about how like you know you're born one year and then you're gonna die at at another time in your life and then on your gravestone or whatever there's that dash right the dash night my birthday is 1985 one day i'll be dead maybe 2040 or something i don't know hopefully not that soon but it's all about how you live your life how you live your dash, you know, like, how do you do that? And it really seems like, as you, as you mentioned, Andrew, that there's just, there's, you know how difficult it is to live a life and nobody has a bad thing to say about you. Like, I mean, that is so like, I guarantee you, if I died right this second on the show, there are going, someone is going to slander (laughs) my ass. Very quickly, like it will happen. At that time, Carl was a piece of shit. <laughs> exactly, that will happen. And yet, up to this point, we're a, it's been a week, you know, and nothing. We've heard nothing but but good things, and I just think that's so amazing, you know. And it, it's, I just we should. This is the way we should all strive to live our lives. Like someone where when we go, everyone we know has, or everyone that has something to say about us has something positive to say has a good story about us, or even if it's as as small as reaching out and saying, Hey, how you doing after a concussion, you know, or even if it's as big as all these threads you've seen with Biggie and all the stuff that he's been talking about with Brody, you know, like these are just things that we got to, we got, we should hope to strive to have and make an impact in that way. Well, what's also striking to me are the number of stories of like wrestlers that he's like taken under his wing, like the stories from the dark order people, about all of the different ways that like behind the scenes he was advocating for them. Those are the ones that like really got me. Um, like Sonny Kiss had tweeted out a picture of uh, them and Anna J. And it was uh, the quote was something that Brody had said to them about like, she's going to be a star. Take good care of her. Make sure that, you know, they treat her right. Um And there are so many stories like that, you know, John Silver and Alex Reynolds and all of those Dark Order guys, like 
the way that they talked about how he used his name and his influence to fight for them and to try to help get them more over like that was so powerful to me and it said so much about the character of him as a person Arn um Arn Anderson talked about on I don't know if it was on this week's show or another show before about how specifically when Broad deals with the Wyatts and you know the Wyatts are this menacing group of hosses, right? Barry Wyatt is the smallest guy in the group and he's six three, two eighty five, you know? And Brody, Luke, who for those of you who don't know why he called himself Brody, because he has a striking resemblance to Bro- Bruiser Brody. So um, striking. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and and like when he's in that when he's in a mode, he wrestles a lot like Brody did. Um, but uh, but Arn spoke about how the first thing he would ask when they would have six mans is, I, who I need to bump for? What do I need to do? Instead of trying to get over and get his shit over and, and, and look like a big man like a lot of these big dudes do now. They don't want anybody to take away their mystique. That's why you see Brody out there bumping for cruiserweights and taking hurricane runners and head scissor takeovers. Like great English put out there about like, Yep. On the house show loop, we would go out second, we'd have our match, and we'd come back in. Y'all did way too good for it to be just the second match. Well, don't put us on second then. It's your fault. <laughs> yep. That's what you put us together. This is what we're going to do. You don't like it, then I guess you better put us on fourth or fifth instead of second. So let's, 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 we could, we could spend this whole show speaking about Brody and he. Quite frankly, I think he deserves it. The word I'm cu- that I'm thinking of is glue guy. You know, yeah. like at the end of the day, you know, wrestling is a locker room like a lot of other sports. And every team has glue guys in that locker room. Sometimes they're the stars, but a lot of times they're not. A lot of time, a lot of times, depending on the sport, they're like a bench player who just loves being on the team and being a pro and being in that brotherhood. And that's what Brody Lee was. So let's let's kind of put a pin on this by this. Let's go around the horn, and you guys tell me your favorite Luke Harper Brody Lee moment or match. It could be both, and then we'll move on to the rest of the stuff we got to talk about. All right, I'll go first. I'll give you both. My favorite match is the Wyatt family versus um, the Shield. Shield, good yeah, man. That's my favorite match. Um, my favorite moment, though, like. I'm still salty. It wasn't a triple threat at Mania. But Uh, the dissolution of the Wyatt family during the great run of my beloved SmackDown Live is obviously my favorite Luke Harper, Brody Lee moment. Everything about the buildup to his match with Randy Orton, that one-on-one at No Way Out, like that was all so wonderfully done and such a beautiful story that they told. And like, that was my favorite moment for him. And to, to real quick to that, don't forget. A lot of people forget the, uh, battle Royal when him and oh, AJ yeah. had the stalemate. The and won, then the one that he won by mistake. Yep. And they had yep. to like storyline retcon it out. Cause AJ's feet hit the floor when they weren't supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. He, that was maybe the best two months of his career in WWE. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, brother. No, it's well, all yeah, you. I was actually gonna say the 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 double elimination and that same storyline where him and AJ fell out at the same time. Um, 
if I, I don't think I'm misremembering that. Um, no, that is like, right. that is because it legitimately, I felt like, and I, I'm like, I'm with you, Kyle. Like, I'm I'm salty because I I still thought that like they should have given it a shot because sometimes it's kind of like the way it went with Kofi Kingston, where all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, we got something here, and it felt well, especially a bit in like, the hindsight of it, like. I would have much rather had the addition of Luke Harper into a triple threat than the match between Bray and Randy that we got with the projections on the scene and all of the extra like fluffy weirdness that live because I was at that WrestleMania didn't make any sense to us in the live audience at all because we don't have the commentators explaining it to us. Um, I'd have much rather had the triple threat. Hindsight is 2020, but I'd also like to note that's the same night that Luke Harper saved Mustafa Ali's life. That is legitimately true. Well, that's true. Um, Yeah, yeah. just to put a bow on this, Carl, you can finish up. I was just going to say, I was going to say the same thing because I was thinking exactly the same time frame where Luke Harper actually had that run where they could have legitimized him as a a new main event talent instead of keeping him stuck as a, a tag guy, a stable guy and repackaging him as a bludgeon brother or whatever the fuck that was a couple months down the line. So that I was thinking the AJ Styles battle Royal, the whole Randy Orton thing, like AJ Styles, Randy Orton's involvement with the Wyatts did help to involve, like kind of lift them up in general. And I thought Luke Harper, Brody, John, whatever you want to call them, had the best chance of taking off out of anybody you know, that wasn't Bray and they, they, they fumbled the bag a little bit there, but yeah. So Carl, you, you, you can wrap it up with your thought. I yeah. just wanted to say uh, that I agreed with everybody. So we didn't spin the same yarn a few oh, times. You're okay. I was just going to say, cause I know Rance will have something in here at the end, but I just wanted to say, it's funny. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name, I'm going to name drop uh, someone in the Twitter community. Uh, I, me and Rance used to write for uh, wrestlingheadlines.com, formerly known as Lords of pain.net. Um, and when we used to write columns, there is a writer in the in the column forum on Twitter. He goes by Colt Icon at Colt Icon, mm-hmm. and I remember he wrote a column. This is before Luke Harper or Brody Lee ever made it to WWE, and he wrote a, a, a whole column about Luke and how like this guy could be something special. He's an indie guy, and he's got the the gifts and all this stuff. And he he put some like. He gave us some opera, some like links and stuff to go and like look at some of his matches. And to me, that is like, I, like I remember that very, very, very specifically because of course later he shows up at WWE. But you go and watch some of that stuff when he's wrestling as Big Rig, Big Rig Brody Lee or whatever, and he is just—I mean, the dude is—he was legitimately a fantastic big man wrestler. He is everything you could want in a big man wrestler. And when I saw the clips and stuff, I'm like, wow, like, yeah, like if he came in, depending on what they decide to do with them, you know, he could really do something in a, in a place like WWE where they love big men in general and they kind of thrive in that in, that, in those circumstances. So um, I just wanted to kind of top it off with that and say that that was something that like long ago when I wasn't a big indie wrestling watcher, I was, I, you know, read something and started clicking a few links and all of a sudden I'm like, well, damn. Maybe he, this would be great if he showed up in WWE, and sure enough, he did. So, so y'all know I got to be different because I agree with your you guys' assessments, but I'm going to say something different just for the purpose of showing his portfolio. I think an underrated match of his career is that uh, Intercontinental Championship ladder match he had with Dolph. Oh, yeah, that's a really good one. That's really so good. good he bumped like a madman. 
Um, Any and, of the battles between him and Rowan and the Usos or the New Day were also yes. always appointment well, television. Well, he's he's thought of primarily in WWE as a tag wrestler, and I wanted to showcase his highlights as a singles because we forget he was IC champion. So you know that I don't, I don't want that to be left by the wayside. But I think if he was here, he would tell you. I think his wife and Brody Lee Jr. minus one would tell you. And no, there's nothing in his career that's more proud than the beatdown he had on the Nightmare Family. Oh, for sure. And it was yeah. so beautifully done. Like, yes. you know, as much shit as we give the Root Beer Zone for, you know, All Friends Wrestling, where no lessons are learned and the points don't matter. Um, well, four Friends by Friends? Four Marks by Marks. Oh, I, well, see, I don't know. I got to learn the lingo. <laughs> on, it's a long title but you got to get it right anyway no but for as much shit as we give aew because nobody else for whatever reason seems to ever want to give them shit about anything um that was one of the better storylines that they've ever done which sucks because it includes cody and it just feeds into his incessant need to always be at the center of everything always but it was so cathartic watching the nightmare family get their shit fucking rocked yeah, I will and... never forget Brandy coming out to cover Cody and Anna Jay just comes out and looks up at Brody and he's just like, yeah, do your thing. <laughs> and so speaking of and speaking of AEW real quick before we kind of wrap it up with this, I have not watched the tribute show and that's for my own personal reasons. It has nothing to do with AEW and how great, great it was. Um, I will say this. As someone who probably gives AEW more shit than just about anybody else on this show, I just want to commend them as highly as they can be commended because by all accounts and in the clips I have seen, not only did they tribute, give a great tribute to the life of Brody Lee, but they really, really took, are taking care and have continued to take care of his family. And they made a night for his oldest son, Brody Jr., that yeah, the best thing about that he'll is. never forget, you know, like, I mean, ah, uh, like he's never, he will never forget those memories. And it's so important because he's still at a young age or maybe it's not all processed and it, you know what I mean? Like, and eventually well, there are two reasons, you know, he'll never forget it. There are two reasons, you know, he'll never forget it. Number one, you know, he'll never forget it because Brian jr was tweeting about, I have never forgotten when my dad died and how my wrestling family took care of me. Yeah. yeah. I have never forgotten that, and I never will forget that. So that's number one. Like, we have a from the horse's mouth account of that. Um, but the other reason you know he'll never forget it, is, and the reason that I commend the show more along the lines of the way you did, Carl, is like they made him the front and center. They booked the show full of matches, like that included a bunch of his favorites. They went out of their way to include him in everything. They gave him which member of the Dark Order is it that they gave him as like his personal shadow five. for the five? I knew it Alan was Angels. five. Alan, Alan Angels. Angels. Okay, I knew it was five. I just couldn't remember who five was. Um, but they gave you know he was like the personal shadow for the night. He got to do the kendo stick on MJF, and like that was so great. Um, so like. It was just really, really props to them for like doing their best to give him a distraction at a time where even if he hasn't fully processed it, you know he's sad. Mm -hmm. And and giving his mom 
that distraction, you know, giving Amanda that distraction of like, okay, well, at least tonight I don't have to worry about Brody because, you know, everybody else is taking care of him tonight and I can worry about me and Nolan and just being alone with my sadness for a little while. And like, that is super important. It was as perfect a tribute show as you can make. Um, So we're here at the edge. We're here at Chair Shot. I just want to give our love and support to the Huber family. And Brody, rest in power, my brother. You will not be forgotten. When you get a chance, uh, hit a discus lyric on somebody today. (laughs) Andrew, if you do it on AJ, just film it for me so I can enjoy it. No problem. <laughs> now, to the crux of the show, uh, the reason we're here, uh, Andrew is always welcome here because he's family, but there's a specific reason I asked him on this week. We will be, this will be uh, dropping tomorrow morning, Sunday morning, and Monday is the prestigious Wrestle Kingdom pay-per-view. And, you know, we here at The Edge try to give the respect and reverence to that show that we, quite frankly, think it deserves. However, we're not diehard New Japan watchers. We're casual fans. We watch the big shows. We keep up with the main stuff. So we always like to have an expert come in and kind of learn us about the project, product, as, they, as we say down here in the South. Learn me something. Um, so I have actually asked our resident most casual fan, Carl, to kind of be the guy, be the, I don't want to call you a skeptic, but be the guy who helps us understand the things we don't understand about it. Um, so first I want to read out the cards just for the purposes, and then I have a question for Andrew, and then we can go from there. Cool? Yep. Cool. Now, if you remember, Wrestle Kingdom was, uh, New Japan was the first uh, company to do the two nights. So on night one, um, starting from the bottom down, the dark match is a 22 man New Japan Rambo, basically a rumble, um, where the it, it says the winner challenges for the provisional King of Pro Wrestling 21, 2021 trophy, but I believe it's a fatal four way. It's supposed to be the next night. It, it is a fatal four way. Fatal four way, yeah. So it'll be like the last four men in the match or something like yeah. that. Okay. Or whatever bullshit they want to pull. Cause yeah, it's a Gato's. Uh, <laughs> Gato's been well. Gato's been doing some weird fucking shit this year because like. Yeah. Also, Rambo's are never serious in in Japanese history, regardless of the company. It's usually something that's comedy or something used for veteran or returning or just. Yeah. It's a feel good kind of goofy thing most of the time. This is, so for, I'm this is for cheeseburger. This is for cheeseburger and Toro Yano to get their sh- their shines in. Or Scott Norton comes back and he gets in somehow because, you know, fuck it. Why Careful not? now. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You start saying um, Scott Norton, I might buy the damn pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> you have my New Japan World login. That's true. I forget. Yeah, you can have simultaneous streams. Not not like I know for any reason. I'm just saying. No, <laughs> no. It's just a hunch. Yeah, no, but we here at the Outsider's Edge will always advocate for putting your money where your support goes. Agreed. And no better way than to get somebody to pay than to have them borrow <laughs> for a show or two. <laughs> so on the main card, um, Hiromo Takahashi, the time bomb, faces uh, El Phantasmo, 
winner of that match will uh, face the um, Taiji Ishimori on night two for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Mm-hmm. You have the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, facing the great Okan from the Empire. You have Kazuchika Okada, basically the franchise, facing Will Ospreay. Um, in a match where the winner gets the rights to the IWGP US Championship briefcase, Kenta, who has it now, will be facing Satoshi Kojima. Um, the IWGP Tag Team Championships are... Um, Saber and Tai Chi, aka the Dangerous Techers, will be facing who we give deference to at the beginning of every show, the Gorillas of Destiny, the Tongans, G.O.D. And the main event of Night One, Tetsuya Naito will be defending both the heavyweight and intercontinental IWGP championships against Kota Ibushi, the original winner of the G1, back-to-back, by the way. And in Night Two... Um, we have the two stardom matches, which will be the dark matches. And for those of you listening, unless you have stardom world, you can't see it. It will not be on the new Japan feed. And it won't be live either on stardom world. They'll load that up later. Okay. That's how stardom world works. <laughs> I didn't know that. So thank you for telling me that. Cause I'm mm-hmm. interested in seeing these girls work. Um, but if you're interested in the, in the actual matches, it's Mayu Iwatani and Tan Tam Nagano versus. You to say it? Say yes, yes, please. <laughs> it's Mayu Iwatani, Mayu Iwatani, and Tam Nakano versus Sayuri and Julia of Donna Del Mondo. And also, the second dark match is the Queen's Quest tri- uh, trio of Saya Kamitani, Azumi, uh, and Utami Hayashishita, who is the current Red Belt or uh, World Stardom Champion, against the rest of Donna Del Mondo, which is Maika, Natsupoi, and Himika. God bless you. Thank no you for problem. pronouncing those. <laughs> I try. I, I do keep up with stardom, so that that's going to be a fun talk because I don't think a lot of people keep up with stardom. I don't just mean here. I mean generally speaking in the IWC. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right, and it's a shame, but it's also it's it's not hard to find, but it's not easily accessible as some of these other companies. But it is a shame. Um, mm-hmm. On the main card, and so that those are dark matches. On the main card is that. Uh, King of Pro Wrestling 21 Trophy uh, for the four-way between the last four members of the Rambo. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Big E because the never openweight championship matches big, meaty men slapping meat. Mm-hmm. Shingo Tagagi defends against Jeff Cobb. You have the uh, uh, fine, you finally have the clash of former best friends turned bitter enemies with Sonata versus Evil. Um, you have the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, uh, Tag Championships. Uh, El Desperado and Kanemaru. And Despi just took off his mask, by the way. So that's something. Mm-hmm. Uh, defending against Taguchi and Master Wado. Yeah, Despi was hiding a whole snack behind that mask for all these years, as it turns out. Most of the see, time they are, dog. See, you, you just yeah. didn't see a couple years ago. Despi is one of the few masked wrestlers. This ain't the first time he was without a mask. He used to take it off and throw it at people to fuck with them just to try to get a DQ or to try to get the ref to, uh, you know, do stuff and, and DQ the baby face and get the I'm just saying, if I'd have known he was that pretty, I would have put up with his antics a lot better. That's all like, I'm saying. Is he prettier like- than Sonata to you, though? I mean... That depends. Are we talking like regular haired Sonata or are we talking about this like blonde shit that he's got going on? Because I prefer to natural. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. 
It sounds like it sounds like the key to being good looking is put a mask on for a little while. Don't let anybody know what you look like, and then just take that motherfucker off. That's that's. I think that almost. Carl, you've already unlocked the key to being good looking. You've got that whole daddy vibe going. <laughs> that's true. You you you've been giving me the good compliments. I appreciate that, my my friend. <laughs> All right, Rance, you're, uh, it's your show, um, man. Yeah, keep reading. Yes. Hey, uh, look, yeah, internet. We're being ridiculous. <laughs> internet, brother. Um, and then the, the final two matches of the night ba- are basically dependent on the night before. Ishimori defends the junior heavyweight title against either ELP or Takahashi, and either Naito or Ibushi will defend against the Switchblade, Jay White. So my first question for Andrew is, are they even going to have a card? Because apparently there are rumors that because of the COVID spike in Japan, they might cancel. The last thing I heard was that they just reduced attendance down to no more than 5,000 people, which is shitty for New Japan because I think they already were planning on about 40% capacity for both nights and had much more than 10,000 tickets sold over two nights. Let's just put Ooh. it that way. So... They're looking at a, a big, big loss at the moment, and I'm pretty sure the last thing I read was that they're going to go through with it. But I um, – just to get this out here now, since I'm, I'm not a huge – I'm not hugely excited about this card, and I really hope that this learns them to stop doing fucking two-night shows because last year it was cool. This year – as we saw from when you were running it down, it's a lot of question mark feeds into question mark for day two. Tune in tomorrow to see who man, it's bullshit. Like this, this is all like day two is a gimmick show and I can't fucking stand that crap. Like they don't stand on their own legs. It's like a sequel to a good standalone first show, like the sequel that needs a sequel just to make sense. That's a bad movie. So that's how day one feels to day two, because it's like day one is a bad movie. Because half of the matches on that card don't pay off until day two because you're like, oh, well, if EOP beats Takahashi, well, he still doesn't win shit because then he still has to face Ishimori. And it's just – it's really lazy booking. So I'm, I'm not a huge – not hugely pumped, and I hope that their loss of money makes them go back down to just, you know, the January 4th show like they were doing for about 20 years before that, before it was even called Wrestle Kingdom. Or no, 30 years before that. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, I mean, I, I was trying to open it up to the panel, but okay. Um, a follow-up to that. This feels like the first year in a long time, and we know COVID hurt everything this year. Mm-hmm. But, like, it feels like they're really scraping the barrel for talent. You know, you have yeah. Takahashi, you, um, Ace, right? Tanahashi is facing the great Okan. I talked to you about this yesterday. And Okada's facing Osprey, and Osprey is being elevated, so that makes a little more sense. But like, normally the the top three, four matches of a Wrestle Kingdom card felt like as big as it gets. And to their credit and detriment, they have run so many of the top feuds over and over again: Naito and Okada, Naito and Ibushi, Naito and Jay, Naito and Tanahashi, Tanahashi and Okada. Tanahashi. They've run so many of the feuds that like. And again, as we spoke about yesterday, Andrew, they're they're forced to have new talent. So, mm-hmm. like, wh- like, why does is it just that? Is it COVID that makes us feel like this is such a 
lackluster card? Or is it truly that they just don't have enough stars anymore? They lost, in my opinion. I think it, you know, I think it goes back to AEW a little bit because AEW had a lot of the American crossover stars. It's not even so much that they lost a lot of their stars, but they lost a lot of their crossover appeal stars. Sure, but how many of them were singles? Just Cody. Just I'm not Cody. Just uh, just Kenny and Hangman. Sometimes Beretta. Sometimes Beretta. Beretta. But he was mostly junior tag guy. Yeah, I'll give you Juice, and but Juice is hurt. Yeah, Juice ain't Ju- even with AEW, though. Juice no, is I'm just talking about the stars that were missing from New Japan. But yes, uh, Kenny's the only guy I could think of off the top of my head that really had... The New Japan crowd couldn't care less about Cody. That's just facts. I mean, the New Japan crowd is smart. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And yeah, Beretta maybe was a guy, because Beretta had a title range. A title champ, a title chance two years ago or whatever it was, but I'm just thinking it feels so off this year. I think a lot of the problem is the two year Rainmaker dominance because he went through all of the Japanese talent, and you know, standing ovation by the way. Sonata couldn't come past Okada in. New Japan Cup, and sure, he finally got a win in the G1, but then, you know, he lost the the, the face the fight back the, that one year. So, like, Sonata is in a weird spot, and that's New Japan's fault, and his fault, well, both, I was, depending on say, how you want to argue it. his fault because he's inconsistent. Like, no, he's you can tell when he's... Because he doesn't sign the contract, so they're not going to push him. Well, you, you, did you, you know that when one? when he's plugged in, is what you I can like. But a lot of the problem is the same problem that they had with Ibushi a couple years ago. Ibushi was too much of a free spirit and didn't want to sign the contract for New Japan. So that's why New Japan never really put the belt on him or put the rocket on him in any kind of way. Sonata is playing that kind of free agent thing. And I feel like that's part of the issue where he's stuck because... Of it's like I said, there, there's fault on two sides. If he would just sign the damn contract, he could have been elevated, and he would probably be seen as a much bigger deal than he is already. Because the new the Japanese crowd loves him. I mean, the American crowds are a big fan of him too. Because I went to uh, the Tiger Hattori tour what two years ago now when they did that the Madison Square Garden thing. He's like he pretty, has his fans. mask is he, he's pretty. His mask is good, and he's decent in the ring. Like he's got a cool factor. Like that's exactly. all Americans. Are there we go. Give he's, him a ma- if you gave him an English speaking mouthpiece, you could have him in a mid card title spot in WWE or AEW like tomorrow. Exactly. So you mean I, I get what you're saying, and you're completely right. But that's the whole point: is that because he he checks all those '90s Muda boxes, which is funny since he was trained by Muda, and you can kind of see a lot of the similarities within them, and. Sonata unfortunately falls along a similar line that his master did where he gets screwed by booking because he doesn't want to play ball or he wants to do things his own way. And, you know, we got to kind of deal with a weird middling couple years until he figures it out. The division where I noticed, though, the real loss of star power is the junior division. Absolutely. But a lot of that has to do with injuries. Like I know aren't both of Rapongi 3K hurt or is it still just show? Yo was the one that was hurt because he like ruptured an Achilles or something or an ACL or something I like that. I knew it was a serious, serious injury, mm-hmm. whatever it was. Show just 
the show just kind of fell off because they were giving him a good push. He had that never match with Shingo, and that was really good. They looked like they were sort of positioning him for maybe a singles run, and then I, I don't know what happened. I guess that just ran out of steam. So I, I, I wanted to jump in because, um, I like like Grant's mentioned at the top, I'm, I'm more casual. Mm-hmm. And for me, I would like to be sold on something like this at some point, you know, that's kind of so far I haven't been sold on anything because I've <laughs> everyone feels like it feels there's a lot of negativity and that's okay. Cause that's, you know, that's I'm negative about shit all the time. So it's no big deal. But what I want to ask you, Andrew, personally is I am actually, I'm gonna give you a little bit of context. So WrestleMania 36 this last year, they did a two night event, right? Mm-hmm. And they did that. And I thought it was great. Now, the reason why I thought it was good, there's two, there's the COVID thing is obviously a factor there. If there's no COVID, it's it's a one night show. We all know that. I think that's pretty self explanatory. But I think that that is going. I personally think that going forward, while I don't think they'll do it, I think it's something that you could. I think it's something that is actually kind of good because you give people a break. Uh, these seven hour shows get to be exhausting. We've all. I don't know how many of you have been to a WrestleMania. Besides me and Rants, I don't know if you guys have, but the shit is exhausting after a few hours. By the time you get to the end of the night, you're just like, fuck. You get there, now that they're in these football stadiums, you get there when the sun is still up. Because I remember the year I went, it was the year they were in Tampa. And you we got there in the heart of the Tampa sun at like 5 o'clock, and it was midnight by the right. time we had left. And you sit there in the swamp ass of Florida for seven hours (laughs) and tell me how you feel yeah exactly so that's so my my question to you i guess is for someone like me who's like well shit you know i'm an old man i need a break and not only that like i think it's a way to kind of extend it in a fashion that's that kind of leaves you thinking about the next day the way you mentioned it is lazy booking like where you don't know where well he wins tonight but that doesn't mean he doesn't really win shit you know because there's a whole nother day to go my counter argument to that would be, well, that kind of makes me more interested in the second night. And so I'm just kind of curious what it is about splitting it up into two nights specifically that bothers you. Like, does a normal Wrestle Kingdom show go for a very long time where you need a break? Or is this something where it's just, you know, maybe it's just, like you said, it's just lazy booking you. I'm just curious if there's anything else. What am I missing? Because to me, that's kind of a selling point in a lot of ways where I can watch two separate shows without feeling like I'm watching wrestling all day long. You know what I mean? I get what you're saying. And that that's a fair analogy with WrestleMania because a lot of the arguments to WrestleMania have been the fact that it's too damn long from seven to 10 hours, depending on if you count the pre-show or however they started. It just, it becomes an all day affair and that's just too much. The problem that I have with Wrestle Kingdom being a two day affair Last year, it was two separate cards that could stand on themselves with only the double gold match being kind of the thing that bled over into the next night. So that was that was one thing that was the the premier match that you're like, okay, so whoever gets the Intercontinental and if, if Okada defends, like then they face off and that's a big thing. All right. This, however, what's a good way to put it? Before, when they had one day when it was just a 1-4 show, the uh, the, the New Year's Dash would be 1-5 and 1-6. That would have a lot of the superfluous titles, like the, the Never Six Man, and a lot of little things would get 
figured out there, and that starts off the next year's story because that was their jumping off point. And with one, with it being a two-day event, it feels like it's dragging it out too far. And this year especially, it feels like there's not enough information. It's just they're, they're spreading it too thin. Also, that's coupled with WrestleMania will always be a Saturday and a Sunday or a Sunday and they'll work it out so that it's the weekend. The one, four show is the one, four show, no matter when one, four lands. Cause that's how they've done it. That's their day. So a lot of the other way of looking at this is this is a Monday and a Tuesday for sure. Western fans. And on the East coast, it doesn't start till like two, three o'clock in the morning. Right. So that depends on, your sleep schedule, your work schedule, if you work from home, whatever, and it becomes a mess. Whereas if it's just one day, then you can figure that out. You could take off. You could just, you know, go with no sleep, take an early nap, whatever the hell you have to do to get through it. So nothing on these two days of cards feels like it's super important that it couldn't have just been one damn day. They didn't need to do best of super juniors at the same time they did world tag league and then have super j cup for some random reason they didn't need to do all this extra crap at the end of the year just to invent reasons to have matches do you, do you think that they're kind of trying to fit it all in um just because of the circumstances given covid and things like that so it's like hey let's smush everything together in a couple oh, yeah. of days just to try and make everybody happy because your point about the monday tuesday thing i hadn't considered that it's a really awesome point um, so I'm just curious if you think that the reason why they're doing this is just to kind of like get their shit in, so to speak. Yeah, I, I really think this is get your shit in because they took the three and a half, four, however you want to count the time. You know, they took that time off because of COVID. So there's a lot of tournaments, a lot of things that got bypassed, you know, like kind of truncated. And it just it turned into a problem. And that first like month and a half of New Japan, you felt that. Because that first month of whatever that was, like New Japan Cup languished. When they had the and... Bullet Club B team. Yeah, like, exactly. The, and the it fucking, was like. The fucking JV squad was out there. It was like Jado and his can barely move ass had to be bumping for some stuff. Ghetto and like Yujiro Takahashi. Yeah, the, entire, the them entire Bullet Club at the time was Yujiro. Yeah. Uh, um, it was Yujiro Chase. Evil. Chase was there, he was still in country. Yujiro, Evil, Chase, and Takahashi. And Evil didn't even join till after he did the turn after Cup. So Yujiro he had, he had to a, make it to the Cup Finals. Yujiro had a few with Okada. Nothing else needs to be said. Yeah. yeah. And he didn't even step it up that much. Like, it was a better Yujiro match than he's had in a while, but that's also a low bar. So, it's just... Uh, it they, they were... Yes... They did what they had to do because of COVID, travel restrictions, all this other stuff. They kind of they kind of have to sleep in the bed they made because they put the belt back on Moxley, not knowing what was going to go on, and they decided not to strip him. So that made it awkward because Kenta's defended that briefcase between Strong and New Japan shows, I think, six or seven times. So he has defended a briefcase more times than the U.S. title has been defended in two years. And just just wrap your head around that one. Continuous, their continuous refusal to strip him of that title is it has crossed into infuriating for me because I'm just like, y'all are at an impasse. Mm -hmm. AEW is not going to let 
him work for them. And here's how you know. Here's the real way you fucking know. They took all of the Kenny Omega shit off of, uh, or they took a bunch of Kenny Omega shit off of New Japan World. Mm-hmm. They took the uh, they took the Omega Okada match, the two out of three falls one, off of New Japan World. That's how you know the beef between these companies is running real fucking deep right now. So Mox is not gonna wrestle for them anytime soon. You need to take that fucking title. I don't disagree with that. I mean, it's just. I don't and if know you're not going to take that title, then you at least need to decouple the fucking world title and the intercontinental title. There is no fucking reason when Evil defended the belt against Naito the first fucking time or the second fucking time that it wasn't just for the world title. What the fuck does Naito want the IC belt anymore? He doesn't. Um, this is um, a man who spent two years actively destroying that shit. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you asked that because that was going to be one of the questions I asked Andrew. What the hell is up with them still putting both championships together? Why won't they separate them? It's been it's a, over a year. Terrible! Now. It's fucking terrible. Even Naito said it's fucking terrible. Like I think after he won it in the baseball stadium, his press conference was very simple. His press conference was either make these a combined belt or I will defend them separately. But basically, sort your shit out and tell me, and I'll make it work. That was what Naito said. And I love how Okada, Naito, they all work within the frame frame rate, or not frame rate, framework of their, of their kayfabe, where Okada had to come out and say, since they're together, I don't really care for either belt because it devalues the heavyweight, so fuck you guys, I'm going to make my own trophy tournament and just fuck around all year. So Okada had to verbalize that. And that became kind of his his journey, and Naito now kind of openly di- like d- disdaining the situation he's in. He's like, it was cool that I won both, but can we figure out what this is and stop making me carry both of them around? Like, eh. he had a built-in excuse to decouple them when Naito faced Evil for the world title because Naito has all of that kayfabe history of hating the IC belt and feeling that he is not so much even hating the belt, but just feeling like he's above it at this point. Like I'm not an intercontinental champion. I've been there. I've done that. I'm a world heavyweight champion. So it would have made easy sense for him to just be like, fuck your little IC title. I want that world title Defend it against me. The other easy way is to just defend the IC against Kota Ibushi. You have no clue how infuriated I was when Naito basically said, uh, since I have one four off, Ibushi, you won G1, fuck it, I'll let you challenge. It's like, yeah. this is a participation trophy match. This is complete crap. And he could have been like, I'll let you challenge, but only for the IC, because Jake could have stepped in and be like, no, 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 the heavyweight is mine, so, you know, fuck it, I don't care about the Intercontinental, you let, you let him have that, give me the IC. That would have been the perfect excuse, because you could always have Naito lose to Ibushi, and then that's a deconstruction of Naito the night right before, and then he does a big comeback and overcomes Jay and goes out the conquering hero kind of thing, and the, the fans go wild kind of thing. That would have been a perfect fucking excuse there, but no. Let's keep these belts together and make them both marginally worthless because I don't care about the title scene and I think they're both heavily devalued together. 
Well, that's that's the problem is by combining them together, it shoehorns the belts and it shoehorns the mains. And so then the feuds outside of the belts are more interesting. <clears throat> Speaking of feuds outside of the belts, talk to me about the rise of the new staple, the Empire, what it means for New Japan and if you think it's working. And before you say before you do, though, let me get out some obligatories. Fuck Will Ospreay and B. Priestley, but mostly Will Ospreay because he's a piece of shit. Everybody take I'm, a drink. I am actually going to because I, I don't really disagree. I just, I'm not that vehemently against Ospreay. Like, he's a fucking moron. Don't get me wrong. Like, I know he's done. Oh, I've, shit. Been anti, I've been anti Ospreay for years. He's just, he's a prick and he like goes out of his way to remind you that he's a prick every chance he gets and i'm just like dude fuck you here here's the beauty of that though at least he knows who he is i used to hate osprey from a fundamental level because i hated his flippy boy bullshit because his matches were bad he was just athletic like motherfucker used to pull off the fucking assassination kick it's just a jack shot from final fantasy 10 that's all the fuck it is so he'd go flipping around like he was a final fantasy character and i'm like this is not a fucking match this is acrobatics i don't give a shit and marty scroll the fact that he was basically when i choked him out and he was the osprey killer that was the main reason i cared about scroll at the time let's not even get into that now but at the time like i just couldn't tolerate osprey but then he bulked up but then he bulked up no, it was more just an anti-Osprey thing. It wasn't really like me putting my eggs in the wrong basket. But it then he booked up, he slowed down, and he finally learned how to wrestle. And I can appreciate that, that he's evolved and he's become a better wrestler. As a person, he's a piece of shit. But then again, as we kind of alluded to during the Brody memoriam we had in the beginning, there aren't a lot of guys that can go their entire career and be have so many nice things said about them shit osprey's only like what 26 and most people hate him so he he's already off to a blundering wondrous start isn't he <laughs> but yeah hey, well you know when you're in your 20s you know i feel like you do a lot more dumb shit and then you get a little bit older and maybe some of those things but yes osprey he's is 27 uh... but yeah that's young as fuck okay still Anyway, no, but, young. Like, he's still very young and like a dumbass, but he's also an asshole. Yes, he is. But again, at least he's aware of it. and He doesn't try to pretend to be a good guy. So, hey, I, I can respect that. Um, as for the Empire, is it doing its job? That's a good question, because the great Okan match was built out of the World Tag League because Okan and Cobb were tag team partners and they just took it to Hanari and Tanahashi in their match. Like, they literally mugged him before the bell, beat the ever-living shit out of him, hit him with, you know, tore the eyelids and uh, Okan's uh, claw choke slam. Like, it just... They beat the hell out of Tanahashi, and that's part of the reason why Tanahashi's having the match with Okan, because he's the big, scary enforcer that broke him down. Osprey against Okada, that's like big brother, little brother... Yeah, that that has that has context. That that has years of context. Mm-hmm. So like that could work. Sadly, it feels like it has to be Osprey winning, just to kind of Agreed. give Empire momentum moving forward in the year. Because if he doesn't, then it's awkward. But the biggest thing that I like about the Empire, and it's not B Priestley herself, it's her involvement because it muddies up the line between stardom 
and New Japan because they're both owned by Bushi Road. And most people were like, no, Stardom is not New Japan's women's division. But the fact that you can see more crossover appeal and more crossover usage is pretty nice when usually when it comes to New Japan, the women are just eye candy because you got Miho and you got, you know, Tokyo Latina, Peter, the little bullet club rabbit. And that's about it. So the fact that B can come in and actually she she's not a little woman like she can actually land her moves. She, you know, has a frame about her. She looks impressive. She can pull off some stuff. It's nice. And the fact that, you know, they're doing the dark matches again, it gets more exposure for stardom. So I still don't think it's New Japan's women's division, but it is nice to see that they're kind of marrying it together and that the the parent company is kind of making the kids play nice. You know what I mean? So, uh... Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Tell me this, Andrew. Mm-hmm. I think I think New Japan got lucky this year with their heavy tag division match because G.O.D. The best, is the best they got, right? And I think that, that consistently they're the best they have. Consistently. And this year, Tai, tai Chi's had a great couple years in terms of elevating oh, himself. Yes. And Tai Chi and Saber and the Suzuki-Goon team have really kind of made their title run seem sufficient and strong. And I, I mean, have they're a the strong one- feeling that as soon as, you know... Travel restrictions are lifted. I feel like Gallows and Anderson will be back there before too long. They're not a good tag team, so uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're entertaining duo, but I don't, I don't. They're not a good tag team at all to me. They'll win titles, but uh, but your and Anderson are an old school tag team. Like, let's not say they're not good because Anderson as a solo put on some great fucking matches. So the fact that Gallows is Gallows is just the big power boy. And Anderson is the bumper, and he's he's the one that makes it look flashy. They work from an old school perspective. It they're not a cohesive unit like like, like the Tongans or even like the Dangerous Techers. They don't stand on their own really. Uh, even Killer Elite Squad was a better squad, like a team. Well, you know, Davy Boy and Killer Lance. Killer Elite Squad is good, but it's just 
let's not shit on the Good Brothers too much because that that's an older built team when it comes to the dynamic, and it, it still works out really well. Well, I just I'm meant it more sh- from the standpoint of the heavy tag division is almost always perpetually in need of bodies and established bodies at that. And like they'll come back as instantly established bodies because they were an established team before. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not shitting on the good brothers. I'm shitting on a good brother. Like, <laughs> um, but but my question is, I think they got really lucky because I think that's a good and and an interesting matchup between the Techers and God. But why in the blue fuck do they refuse to put these two tag divisions together? I don't understand it. Because they literally have, they literally have three between them. Um, history, lineage, like that tradition, like that. That's really about it. Like juniors and heavies don't usually intermix too much. When juniors and heavies mix, it's supposed to be special. It's supposed to be something important. What? That's why like Liger doesn't have any IWGP heavyweight runs. Like Liger has. 10 or 11 junior titles off. I can't remember the number exactly off the top of my head. But he was the most dominant, like, junior. But whenever he went up against the heavyweight, he still had problems. And they draw those those lines, though, kayfabe-wise, real, real hard. And, yeah, each year one of them sucks, to be honest. Like, the junior division is either really weak or the heavy division is really weak. And you make a point was saying that both teams in the heavyweight are good and established. But interesting was a wonderful word you used because <laughs> we saw Saber play babyface a couple times during G1. And it's, it does a decent babyface. But is does that mean Taichi and Saber, the Suzuki-Gun team, is going to be babyface in this match? Or is it going to be the Tongans playing babyface? Because... This could just be a fucking mess. This could literally be 20 minutes of, I don't want to watch this and I'm going to go fucking make pizza or something like that. Because if it's just a heel-off, bullshit, interference, low blow, use this weapon, use that weapon, you know, low bridge, dumb shit kind of move all the time, then that's a terrible match. So interesting was the operative word you used there because it depends on how they map this out. Don't you think God would play the play the baby only because Bullet Club is is their most interesting outside of Lij? Lij runs the company, but it's it's one of their most interesting and most watched groups outside of Jay. Jay and Kenta will they can't ever be facing Japan again. I think they're like lifelong heels. But here's the thing: Evil everybody hates, so yes. Evil Bullet Club hate. Kenta is going out of his way to piss people off, even though I think people are coming around to actually loving Smarmy Kenta. It's not the point. He's trying to make people hate him. Jay thrives off the booze and drives yes. thrives off the hatred. So three of the bigger people in Wrestle Kingdom and in Bullet Club are trying to go out of their way to be heels. If the Tongans play baby, then what does that say about their role in the Bullet Club? Unless that leads to what Kyle was saying... And that's the Good Brothers popping over in a month or so and kind of taking their rightful place back in the Bullet Club and knocking the Tongans out because the Tongans lost their edge or lost their swag or something like that. Let the Tongans form their own Tongan stable to scare the shit out of the entire fucking roster. All Tongans all the time. 
Does that include Chase, who's Tongan by association? I mean, oh, yeah, he's at, honorary at Tongan. At this point, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. at this point. He's got the know, shirt. The they Tongan gave him a shirt stable, that says honorary Tongan. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah, the Tongan stable at this point would be G.O.D. and Fale and Chase. And um, what's Hikaleo. the other? Hikaleo. I can never remember yeah. his, like, full name. At, at yeah. this point, shouldn't this whole fucking podcast get an honorary Tongan shirt? Like, how many weeks in a row do we have to give all deference to the Tongan? Come on. How let your boy? Yes. I don't know. I don't think we should really be demanding anything of the Tongans because Haku right. is like, what, 65 and he'll still kill all of us okay, at the same please. time? Okay, please. We're begging you. <laughs> there we go. Like, let's not piss off Haku. <laughs> I don't want that. I like having my nose bridged to my face. Yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. Same. But yeah. So, yeah, I, I understand that my, my point in this show was basically to try to make sense of things in Wrestle Kingdom and New Japan. But good God, like New Japan's been a mess since they came back. Well, I think we, we've though. all seen it. We've, we've all understood it. And apologizing just would make me sound like an apologist when I don't even care. <laughs> like, I respect that. But let me ask you this. While we're trying to all kind of figure it out here, for someone like me, right, who doesn't who's most likely going to miss it. First of all, it's on a damn Monday or whatever, but just, just say that like you wanted to sell me on this card. Just give me one match that you're like, okay, if you could watch this one, what's it going to be that you're going to watch it? Not even knowing my tastes, right? Cause you really, we, we just met tonight on mm-hmm. this damn show. You don't know me from Adam. Just if you, for you though, if you thought, well, this might be the thing. If you're going to show any casual wrestling fan or someone who doesn't even give a shit about wrestling, what would be the match you would say I might be able to convince them to be a fan of this to, if they watched this? What would it be? And I know the match, Andrew, so I, I'm, I'm sending you my, my mental vibe powers. Hmm. Hmm. Let me see if I can pick up on this. All right. All right. I'm, I'm going to run with one. I'm going to run with one. I'll see if this works. Okay. Okada Osprey is, is the match that, that I would say. That wasn't the one, but that will probably be the match of the weekend. No, so and I it's was... not even for that. But okay, what was your point? Well, see, I know Carl. Mm-hmm. Shingo versus Cobb is, is that that'll take a little fancy. See, my problem with that, and we talked about this yesterday. If it's a Cobb match and not a Shingo match, it's going to suck. And I say that in full deference to the fact that I understand Cobb's a good wrestler. I understand he's an Olympic wrestler. When he wants to go, he can. But good God, he takes so many matches off, it's painful to watch him wrestle sometimes. Takagi is a million bucks and change. Like, he's he's amazing. He's underrated because he was in Dragon Gate for 15 years, and not many people watch Dragon Gate. But, like, he was the ace of Dragon Gate. He had some time in Dragon Gate USA. He's fantastic. But Cobb could really bog that match down if he doesn't bring his A game. The reason I say Okada Osprey, and that's fully knowing, you know, Osprey is not well liked, and his flippy style has actually come down a bit. So he he definitely wrestles more, he strikes more, he's more grounded, and he uses the acrobatics as a flourish or just to try to impact things. Okada has a an amazing charisma about himself to emote the story and tell the story through the match, through the language barrier. You can tell on his face. You could tell when he grabs for wrist control. You could tell by the way he's struggling through it or by the way he's getting pissed off or by the way he's reeling from a strike or anything like that, what the story is, what the emotion of it is, and how much it means to him. Okada doesn't really take many days off. 
So I can really get behind Okada selling you from an in-ring storytelling perspective that if you didn't know who either of these two guys were and just sat down for the 15 to 25 minutes, however long the match is going to be, and you just watched it and didn't know shit about it, you would probably enjoy the match and at least want to see more from one of them, if not both of them. So this is my response to you. You're both, you're both right. Because when you were talking about the cards, those are the two that stood out. And for two reasons, one, I like Okada. I have seen enough of Okada to know that he is legitimately incredible. Like to me, when I watch him, I'm a huge fan. So that is an Osprey, whatever. Like I know he's a, he, kind of flippy and then you said that maybe he's he's gotten away from that a little bit which that makes my heart sing a little bit because i'm not big into the into that stuff so that's good and then rance's point is also correct because he said big e would say big meaty men slapping meat and rance (laughs) knows me enough to know that i like to see the big hosses beat the dog shit out of each other so i think you're both right and i was just curious i was kind of like i was just curious where you both would go with that but you both hit the mark in terms of my personal preferences. So either A, Andrew has been listening to this podcast a lot more than I realized to understand (laughs) what I like. And I know Rance knows me well enough to know uh, the kind of stuff that I'm interested in when it comes to wrestling. So I appreciate the answers. And, and uh, that uh, just, just for the record, that never open weight title has become one of the most fun championships to watch defended. Here's what I chalk that to though. Here's what I chalk that to. I chalk that to the fact that you can go into a never match with no expectations at all. There are zero, like, there's uh, the only expectation is I expect this to be a stiff, strong style match. Other than that, like, I have zero expectations for a never match. I was going to say recently, I'll give that to you. Because when it was torn between Ishii and Makabe a few years ago, like, what is that now? Four and a half years ago, like 16, 17 time. You knew those were going to be bangers. You knew they were going to beat the hell out of each other, and it was going to be a good fucking match because Masato Tanaka was in there. You know, that was back when Hanma was actually still decent before the the neck injury and the the multiple surgeries or whatever it was. So, like, everybody that was in that, and that's, like, right before Shibata took it over, like, those were going to be good matches. Then after the Shibata injury, it kind of fell into a weird lurch. Suzuki, Goto, like, those matches weren't always great. Michael Elgin. Yeah. Anyways, Takagi has done a great job at revitalizing the interest and making sure that the matches are going to be good more often than not. Like between Desperado, between his two with Suzuki, the show match, everything he's done has been good to fucking fantastic. Like Takagi is what makes that never open title kind of like really special right now. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, last question, and then we'll make some predictions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we've went through all the matches. We've kind of broke down kind of the major stories behind them. Um, most of the stories are pretty self-explanatory, uh, but we've broken down a lot of the things that's kind of gone through the year. Tell me a match or two that you would have liked to have seen uh, put on one of the cards. That's not booked. Oh. If there is one. The match I wanted to see for a while was Tanahashi versus Ibushi. I wanted Ibushi to turn heel after the Golden Aces or Golden Ace kind of failed. And it was all Tanahashi's fault. 
it was completely on him and he took the pins he took the injuries he he basically was the beating he he was the dummy that tai chi and saber just beat the shit out of and i would have loved to see ibushi turn on him and then we finally get the an ibushi heel stable not osprey but ibushi was the one that i wanted to kind of go to the forefront and take his own stable and kind of run with it the other thing i was playing with this year was we brought it up a little bit earlier and that was show i would have loved to see show and okada form a tag team because okada wanted nothing to do with the main belts because he thought they weren't great and then he kind of fell in with the six man when yoshihashi finally got his title so hey that that's 2020 as fuck when yoshihashi finally gets a belt but <laughs> then i think okada would have been great in the tag title picture because he could elevate show like if it was okada and show versus taichi and saber you know how fucking great that match would be yeah yeah agreed okay um so let's run through some of these matches pretty quick um and then we can kind of put a bow on this the new japan rumble give me oh hell well, nobody's gonna get all four right all four right but hell name who you think the four is gonna be i think both of us me and you andrew both agree that suzuki and that yano will be two of the four i agree with that um as for the other two let i'm gonna say nagata because it can also continue the Suzuki Nagata thing that they started earlier in the year, because that was, you know, dads beating the fuck out of each other. So that that those were good matches. And Ishii, uh, I don't think he's too big not to have a spot on the card, bro. Is he though? And and well, to the fans, yes. And and remember, Yano used to be Ishii's partner. Yano left Chaos Chaos this year. Wait, what? Yano didn't leave. Apparently, look on New Japan's website, look at Wikipedia and shit, but look at Wikipedia. Yano is no longer a member of Chaos. I at must least miss that. Cause... Yeah. But Yano stopped being a member of Chaos because he started teaming with uh, the Great Bash Shield boys, didn't he? He always did, though, because he was part of Great Bash Shield and he turned on, you know, Great Bash Shield when the whole uh, Chaos thing was born. So that was more just going back together, but I don't. They they were hinting towards it during the uh, Okada trio against the Yoshihashi trio, so maybe that could be something that maybe I missed because I didn't pay super close attention during rest during a uh, World Tag League. Not gonna lie about that one because it's World Tag League. Who cares? <laughs> but uh, uh, I don't know. Ishii, eh, I, I really don't want to of of name value that would make you care about that match. Unless you're trying to build a young young boy up, you think you're gonna you think one of the uh, younger kids, Hanare, maybe. You know what? I'm gonna give it to Uemura. If they if they let the young lions in on the Rambo, Uemura actually challenged Suzuki at some point, basically saying, "Hey, I don't have a match. You don't have a match. Face me at Wrestle Kingdom," which was brash for a young lion to make that kind of challenge. But it would be interesting if he finds a way to bullshit his way into the final four, especially with Suzuki. So it could be a whole... The story could basically just circle around Suzuki because Yano usually has Suzuki's number because Yano's beaten Suzuki multiple times with bullshit roll-ups. You know, Nagata and Suzuki have a lot of history and Uemura wants to prove himself against Suzuki. So that that could actually make the King of Pro Wrestling 21 
trophy interesting in a four-way to me at least kyle carl you don't have to do none of this shit i, I know what's up <laughs> i have kyle, no predictions on that one i okay. have no predictions on that one fair enough um takahashi versus elp that's gotta be hiromo like phantasmo is great and all but I mean, it's got to be Hiromu. I think if Hiromu doesn't win, people riot because Hiromu is completely loved, like, everywhere. So you can't leave him off the second day. I think I there's something massive. I think there's something massively interesting about the Bullet Club versus the Bullet Club. But, yeah, it's got to be Takahashi, Hiromu. Yeah, I agree. Uh-huh. Next match. Tanahashi versus Great Okan. Kyle, you go first here. I mean, if it's not Tanahashi, I'm going to feel some type of way. I I get what you're saying, but like, I kind of feel like you have to put over Okan here. What's the like, point of giving? Do we really man? though? But like, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I get exactly where you're coming from. I totally do. But this is like one of those. Where like one of those old WrestleManias from the mid two like mid twenty tens where we talked about building up new stars, but then you looked at who they were facing and you're like, okay, yeah, they need to build new stars, but like, is this the star we're gonna hitch our wagons to? I get what you're saying, I do, but I think this whole past year has been about burning down the mystique of the ace and kind of proving that he's not who he used to be. So like he beat Jay White when Jay White came back and he's like, he's, he's the measuring stick. So not many people get past him. That's why commentators still talk about rainmaker shock because the fact that Okada came back from excursion and he's just like, I want you and then beat the hell out of him. Like that doesn't happen often. This could be that final nail in the coffin, so to speak, to prove that Tanahashi just don't have it anymore. That's fair. And I agree with Andrew because the next match is Okada versus Osprey. And a lot of people like to joke about LOL Roman wins, but the truth is LOL Okada wins. So I see Okada beating Osprey with a very strong match, but I but for the Empire to make good on it, I see Okan beating uh, Tanahashi. And, like, you know, the sad thing is, as much as I hate Osprey, like, Andrew was right earlier, like, Osprey really does need to win this match, but he's not gonna. I feel like they're gonna protect Osprey, though, especially if they give Okan the win, because they'll probably have Okan come out and try to interfere, and then something's gonna happen where... Instead of Okada getting distracted or getting caught, Osprey will get caught. So there will be the the heel credible deniability of no, 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 I lost, but it's bullshit. It's bullshit because of this and this happened, or because oh Tanahashi came out and he tripped me, or you know ignoring the fact that you know Osprey had like two or three people come out to help him. So I feel like he'll play up that Western heel, especially if Okan wins. If Okan doesn't win, and Kyle, you end up being right then I feel like this match is going to flip where Osprey has to win because one of the Empire guys has to win here. And yeah, I'm 90% sure it's not going to be Jeff Cobb. Well, so, yeah, that's, that's for sure. That's for sure. 
So I'm just I'm just ignoring him. I almost forgot he was part of the Empire for a hot second. But like let's just it's between Okan and Osprey. So whichever one loses, the other one's probably gonna win. Because if the if the Empire gets swept, that's a terrible showing for a new fucking stable. They might as well just pack it up and go home. Oh, you want to? We'll give them props for trying to build a new stable because, like, they need new stables. If they're still committed to the stable game, they need new ones. You want to give a a, uh, prediction on this one, Okada versus Osprey? Uh, Considering I know nothing about anything, I was just going to comment about the fact that you mentioned if the Empire just continues to lose and it's like a a bad idea for a stable, it kind of has that retribution feel to it where everyone's like at the beginning, they were like, God, all they do is lose, and so what does this matter? Uh, but no, I, I'm kind of like, based on what I know about Okada, LOL Okada wins and the dominance, I would automatically pick him. Just like, even if even if I didn't know anything about any story ever, I would just pick him because he's Okada. Right? LOL. LOL Okada wins. Exactly. Facts. Mm-hmm. Some things Kim are pretty versus- cool enough, by the way. You know, some things are just... Predictable enough for wrestling. So, Kenta versus Kojima for the briefcase. I got Kenta retaining the briefcase, and hopefully they'll finally strip uh, Mox of the title and just let Kenta be the champ at this point. Like, I- I'm done with it. I know, Rance, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, that I, I wouldn't be mad at Kojima winning, especially if they strip Moxley and they need to kind of shoehorn in a match because I like the fact that juice got hurt only because of the simple fact that I'm very sick of juice being the gatekeeper to the United States championship. Like he seems like he's lower mid card for life, regardless of the fact that the crowd loves him. Kids love him. Women love him. Commentary loves him. Western fans hit or miss on him. And his gimmick, he's gotten a little less flamboyant and just a little more eccentric. So it's it relates a little better, I guess, to the average Western fan instead of him walking around like a bootleg Double J from the 90s. So that's kind of nice. But Kojima's also, he's, he's, you know, he's a New Japan dad. He's a vet. He's, you know, he's a former Triple Crown champion, former IWGP champion. He's got a resume. He's still throws a hell of a lariat like he's trained by stan hansen he's no joke and him and kenta were never able to hook up in a match during the new japan noah years from like what was that 2014 2013 to like 2016 17 which that scene is like a dark period for noah but you got to see a lot of interesting matches where naito had a match with kenta over i think it was a tag match but you got to see a lot of the new star the current stars now against Noah names that are big now and we never got to see Kenta versus Kojima the old guard versus the new guard so to speak and you know Kenta's Kenta Kobashi's you know uh, pupil and Kobashi was in all Japan with Hansen and all those people that got taught by him so there's there's roots there there's a lot to pull from this could be fun and if Kojima ends up winning just as an easy way to kind of be the the thorn in Kenta's side and then Kenta gets a rematch for some reason for the title instead of for the briefcase. I'd like that. Now, if we go with what you're probably going to say that you said yesterday, that that's a whole different way. But assuming there is no Moxley to be seen and they end up stripping him, I think Kojima Kenta 2 for the actual belt 
would carry a little bit of weight. And I think fans, Japanese fans and Western fans, would probably appreciate Kojima getting one last shine. Even if he doesn't win the belt belt, like, Kojima is still beloved. And it, it'd be nice to see him have one last shot at something that has some prestige. Yeah, that's cool. That shit ain't happening. Kento. <laughs> that's fine. Do you don't want to throw out your prediction from yesterday? I was waiting on Kyle. No, I already said Kenta, son. Like I, did. Mama ain't raised no fool. So my scenario from yesterday was that Kenta and Kojima have a, a nice, fun, strong and stiff 8-10 to 10 minute match. Kenta wins convincingly with Kojima looking good. And then Kenta takes the mic or some type of he's preening and all this stuff. And Moxley's music hits. And he says, you've been talking all this shit. You've been going around the country looking for me. I'm here tomorrow night, me and you. And Kenta beats Moxley on night two, which gets that taken care of and done. Moxley can come back and focus straight on AEW. And 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 there's got to be a there's got to be a reason why Moxley wasn't at the Brody tribute show. No, that that's definitely good Sherlock Holmes work right there, and I I like that. It actually it's a logical way to get from point A to point B. But I'm just playing with the the information of let's just assume Moxley's not going to be seen in Japan, and there's more bad blood between AEW and New Japan than you know is seen on the surface. So. If they had to bullshit yeah. away to get the title onto somebody or to get another match out of it, having Kojima win the briefcase isn't necessarily the worst thing. And it's more of a Japanese thing to kind of, you know, give the give the veteran, the, the old star, one last shot at the at the young boys than uh, you know, just the Western style of run in, here's a match, it happens tomorrow. So it's interesting. I guess we'll see. Uh, for the tag titles, we got the Techers and G.O.D. Uh, I guess, I'm going to stay with the Techers. The Techers have been solid. Tai Chi and Saber, much better workers together and apart than the Tongans, because as much as, much as you want to dog on one certain brother from the Good Brothers, uh, the one brother on the Tongans doesn't exactly pull his weight. So let, 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 he has let's a nice go beer. there. He has a really sure. nice spear. Yeah, here's and, the difference. And, though, but here's the and difference, the big though. brother's got a nice big boot. So yeah, here's, <laughs> the difference, here's the real difference, and like why we acknowledge the one and we don't speak of the other. The good brother that can't hold his weight in the ring is not related to Haku. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but he, here, here's the reason why I can point it out: is not the child of Haku, and uh, as a uh, result, I will not. Sit here and slander a child of Haku. I value my safety. That's fair. That is a wonderful point you make. But I'm just saying, when it comes down to the Good Brothers and when it comes down to the Tongans, they're both built similarly with the the big guy, little guy. And the little guy is the better wrestler of the two on both teams, where Taichi and Saber are both really good. Like, we've seen a motivated Tai Chi in the last two years, 
and he's right up there with anybody. Like, he's showing that Kawada training. He's showing that, you know, when he wants to have fast Kawada kicks or look lazy or shitty, it's because that's his gimmick, not because he's a bad wrestler. Like, his gimmick is bad wrestler or fake vampire or he really wants to be gacked and he wants to be a J-pop idol. I don't really know what it is. I don't know who lit that fire under him a couple years ago, but I would like to thank them personally because, like, like, Taichi went from being unwatchable to being, like... Oh, it's a Tai Chi match. Nice. Oh, no. Yeah, it's definitely when, you know, people would used to jokingly be like, oh, yes, Holy Emperor, everybody loves God Lord Tai Chi or whatever. Like, no, now it's serious. Now it's like, no, 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 Tai Chi's on. Like, we like Tai Chi now. It's the fans that used to actually chant Tai Chi go home. And now they chant Let's Go Tai Chi. So, like, when you get the Japanese fans to stop what they're used to doing for almost a fucking decade, and then they're just like, oh, no, we like you. You try now. All right, you can stay. (laughs) You know, that says something. Yeah, we don't know where this came from, but we want more of that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, I hope the techers keep it just because I like seeing Taichi do well. And I like the fact that him and Saber together seem to really, really be fucking good. And the Tongans don't need to be together. Let's 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 you know break off Tama, have Tonga get us Tama get a single run somewhere, and you know Loa can go on strong somewhere with Hikaleo or something. I don't know. Figure it out. I got I with all the, with all respect and deference to the Tongans, I think the Tigers win too. <laughs> I love the preface. I really do. <laughs> we don't. I want no smoke, sir. No smoke in twenty twenty one. We're trying to get that honorary Tonga t-shirt, man. We ain't fucking uh, fair, fair, fair. I'm going to, just to be contrarian, I'll pick the Tongans. Well, we know which one of us four is safe tomorrow. Uh, yeah. So, um, main event of night one, uh, Naito defends against Ibushi. Yeah. That's a... That's interesting. Because lo- logic would dictate that it's Naito. Because this is technically what Ibushi's second shot at the title, not counting that triple threat, second single shot, I think. So second G, second G, definitely, definitely a second G one defense. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm no, I'm trying to think because Ghetto likes to book in threes, and if if you've noticed, they're like you know AJ Styles beat Okada twice. But the third time Okada overcame him in Bullet Club at that time. And there, there's a lot of triplicates. Kenny Omega and Okada, yeah. Kenny Omega and Okada. That was, you know, Kenny technically. There'd be something so poetic about Jay White beating Ibushi, though. Like, something so poetic, uh, especially considering the beef with AEW and, like, how, oh, yeah. how you know, Coda's lover, Kenny, is, you know, running roughshod over there. Could you imagine the kick to the nuts if Kota Ibushi could say one day reign as as IWGP champion and then White just destroys it? He'll call. He will call Kenny the following morning. <laughs> Better get me over there. It's like what? It's quarantine fourteen days. I'm fine. Sign me up. <laughs> Baby, come uh, back. Yeah. So I don't like. It's because of that. Like I see White winning it all at the end. Because Jay is just, he, he has it figured out. He's such a good character. He's such a meticulous wrestler. And I'd rather see him with the title and 2021 be the faces chasing him. Because 
he'll do what everybody else wants. He'll be like, look at me, I'm double champion. And then he will literally be the guy to go, you know, fuck this belt. <laughs> or he'll just give it to somebody. Or he'll just be like, you know, hey, evil, come here. You're, you're Intercontinental Champion now. I could see them redoing the finger poke of Doom just to shit on the belt. And that would be fine because it would be done correctly because it's shitting on the belt because you don't value it anymore instead of making a joke of your top title. So I would love to see White win it for multiple reasons. And because of that, I'm going to go Naito only because I I really hope they don't give Ibushi that swift kick to the balls and give him the one day reign. That would whew, that would be that would be fucking bad. <laughs> I, I I have to go Naito for for this one reason. The whole story of him going into last year's double gold dash was they just won't give him the fucking belt. He just can't get over on that big win. And he's had a great year all things considered. He had Whatever you want to call his loss of evil. But he rectified that, went it back. And I just think it behooves him and the company's opinion of him for him to defend on night two. I still think he loses on night two to Jay. But it just behooves him to do that. Mm-hmm. And Naito does go... Naito is the type of guy to go down in a blaze of glory. It just feels like... It feels right for Naito. And then maybe Ibushi does undergo some type of character change. Because... That Kamigoye shit can only last so long, you know? Oh, definitely. And it's poetic, too, if Jay and Naito have one last dance, because all of last year was built around Jay and Naito. Like, you know, almost like a sitcom where they'd smile and they'd fuck with each other and they'd, they'd you know, they'd rib each other in the ring and they'd do each other's poses. And it was this weird, like, tense rivalry where they acted like they liked each other and like they were almost the same person but they hated each other at the same point. And the fact that we got a little taste of it when Naito got the Intercontinental back, like it would just be nice if this was White's kind of vengeance in the whole thing. Okay. Yeah, I, I like it. Cal? Um, I'm going to go with Naito. Yeah. Probably, probably, probably easy money. Um... Do you want to, Andrew, do you want to say anything about starter matches? Do you want to just go on to the main card? I mean, the starter matches are definitely something people should look for on Stardom World. Because they're not going to be seen on the New Japan World broadcast. Because just like last year's match, it was for the live fans only. And it's going to be the same thing with this for the dark match aspect. They do a lot where they like to kind of pinpoint or showcase their main girls, their main stables, and some of the bigger rivalries. Like, last year they had uh, Julia and Hannah Kimura te- team up when they were you know, feuding with each other. It's similar with Mayu Iwatani and Tam Nakano, where they used to be part of the same thing, now they're feuding, but they threw them together to go against kind of mutual enemies with the Donna Del Mondo people. And it's interesting, it's something that should be looked at, but the fact that it won't be loaded up probably until a week after the fact, because Stardom World is very slow with their uploads, like, I don't know if that's because they like to do promo translations or whatever it is, but it's anywhere from four days to a week after the show actually happens, so there's no reason to talk about it now when people won't see it until, you know, halfway through January. 
I just like to say, I just like to say, I appreciate a promotion that does promo translations. Like that's uh, very helpful to those of us that don't speak Japanese. Oh, I'm not shitting on him for that. I'm just saying that it. Oh I no, know I know, I know. I don't know if that's the reason it takes so much longer, but it it does. It, it helps, and it definitely makes the girls more charming because they're they're all kind of funny or cute or quirky in their promos. Like they're exactly what you kind of expect the the stereotype of the Japanese girl to be, and it's. It's adorable in a way. And then you see them kind of go to the ring and beat the shit out of each other. So it's a nice dichotomy where they can talk about something cute and funny and friendship. And then the other one around has kicks the other one's head off. So it's it's funny. <laughs> no, I knew you weren't shitting on it. I just wanted to explicitly say that, like, <laughs> I appreciate as an English speaking fan that they go to the lengths of translating. Agreed. Okay, Andrew, who wins the King of Pro Wrestling 2021 trophy? I think the four, what were the four that, you, that we said we thought would be the, the finalists? It was Suzuki, it was Yano. I threw out Nagata and Uemura, but I think you really wanted Ishii on there. So Yeah, but I mean, but I don't think either, I don't think Ishii or Yurimura is going to win. So okay. who do you think is going to win? I think Yano wins again, because Yano won it last year. I agree. I, I was gonna say the same thing. I think Yana retains, and that's part of the the tomfoolery that keeps the ball rolling on Yano getting singles matches and making up all this goofy, goofy stuff. So, yay gimmick matches. <laughs> okay, so then let's go on to uh, the Never Title with uh, Shingo and Jeff Cobb. And I, well, if, and, and let's Shingo, I get well, <laughs> let's assume it. Let's assume it's a Shingo match because I want yeah. I want to think the best. If it's not Shingo, I get mad. That's how that one's going to work. I thought we already established that it's Shingo. <laughs> Move on, then. Well, we're all in agreement. Um, Sonata versus Evil. That should be a, a million times more interesting than it is, but nonetheless, we got it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It should be more interesting. It's just not, because Evil has been a failed experiment so far, and I don't really know if that's his fault or it's just the fact that all of his matches have been so samey with the literal same formula of interference and tripping and bullshit. And it's just Kyle, it, you look like would say something. <laughs> it's, well, no, it's only partially his fault. I think some of it is his fault, but some of it falls on ghetto because the reason the experiment has failed is the same reason it was always destined to fail. Evil is limited in a way that doesn't work in the main event. He's limited in the ring in a way that doesn't work, and so the way that they compensate for that is they overbook his matches. It's rough to say, and and here here's here's my argument: is that Evil Naito and Takagi were all trained by the same guy, Animal Hamaguchi, and Evil and Takagi have a very similar wrestling style, but Evil's personality is just very subdued comparatively that it's harder to get into his matches because he's a hot topic gimmick of a character. And, you know, now he kind of comes out and he's he's evil, but what 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 has changed? Aside from he's got Dick Togo and, you know, a ni- nice blazer, a nice beret, and, you know, what's he doing? He's, he's ghetto. Like, Dick Togo is ghetto light. And evil is really just a very bad version of Jay White, with the fact that it's heel bullshit, heel bullshit, low blow, oh, 
Togoka brings up the garage. Something happens. Something happens. Distraction. Something. <laughs> like, and it's just like it's so cliche. And that that's part of the reason I give White so much credit is because he's had a lot of similar beats in his matches, but he finds a way to make it more interesting. He finds a way to utilize his kit to make it just more engaging and to actually like his character and to like his personality and his charisma. Whereas evil just, he seems like he's there for the ride. And I don't know if that's them not knowing what to do with the character or if that's him not knowing what to do in the situation. I mean, it works for me. It was, it was always a weird choice for evil to be the guy. But evil was second in command, so I, you know, but um, nonetheless, who who you think wins this match? I think I think evil kind of has to win this match with the year he's had. Yeah, I think he has to save his turn by beating Sonata, and that might lead to something with Sonata down the line. But I guess evil has to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, Kanemaru and Despi versus Taguchi and Wado, the junior tag titles. I got the snack. I agree. Like, I, I really don't want, you know, Ass Masters. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like their name 1 and 8. Fuck that. What, like, 1 or 8, who cares? They're Ass Masters to me. But, like, Wato is not over enough. He's not established enough to hold even the tag titles which don't mean a whole lot at the moment when the tag division is kind of depleted but yeah Despi and Kanemaru should keep that agreed and quietly they've been one of the stronger junior tags of the past few years Despi in general had a great fucking year his match with Shingo was fire his match with Hiromu was fire (laughs) like okay um Two main events. Uh, Ishimori versus we all said is Hiromu for the junior heavyweight title. Gotta be time bomb, right? I would think so. Yeah, probably. You said it yourself. said it yourself. People love that guy so much. And to be a junior, he is one of their most over superstars in the company. Well, especially after he came back from like a destroyed fucking neck. After he won that match that he broke his neck in, too. Let's yeah. not forget that. Yeah. He, did, he, he rested did for another Ryu. five minutes after yeah. he broke his fucking neck. <laughs> he just walked around like it wasn't shit, took more crazy-ass bumps, still managed to hit the time bomb. hmm Okay. So then if we're all in agreement with that, then, uh, and I think we're all in agreement with the last one, but we all said Naito's winning against Jay White. Are we all ending the night? With Switchblade holding the belt up? I think Jay White wins for sure. I do. My only argument to it, and that that's just to see the other end of booking, even though I still I feel Jay White should win, is if Hiromu does win the junior, keeping the belt on Naito until the next anniversary show could be New Japan's way of giving the fans what they weren't able to give them this year. Because they had t-shirts made, they had a whole promo circuit, they had a 
uh, TV show kind of talk show thing about Hiromu and Naito finally getting their singles match because Naito took Hiromu under his wing when he was a young lion and helped to pick him back up when everybody gave up on him and all this other stuff. So I feel like this could just be, you know, last year's story retold through this year because we weren't able to get a correct year out of New Japan. I'd I'd be curious uh, with because we all Hiromu's win we have Hiromu winning but we have evil we have evil beating Sonata well Tagagi's winning too but I'd be curious to see where Lij stands this time next year because it feels like slowly but surely they're not they're imploding almost and they've always been a faction of loosely grouped together people. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't seem like they're in, individually they're great, but as a, as a, as a unit, it doesn't seem like they're very strong anymore. I feel like they've all kind of, in their own way, outgrown each other. Agreed. That's and like their interests are like in the case of Shingo, Sonata, and Naito, they all should have the exact same goal. Like. Yeah. All th- like as with <clears throat> evil gone and that not being a tag team anymore, these are three men who want to be the IWGP heavyweight champion. Facts. Good way to put it. Yeah. So like they've all kind of outgrown each other as a group. And like other than the fact that the stable is hot and the fans still like them, like there isn't much reason to keep them together anymore. Which is part of why I was saying earlier, like, New Japan needs to put some work into more stables. If they're still this committed to the stable format, because that's what they do and that's their tradition, then the time has come to start, like, branching some more stables. Or keep the ones they got strong, because Chaos is a very loosely affiliated group in their own right now. LIJ is. You're, you're right. You're absolutely right. Something needs to be done or changed or something. That was really well said, Kyle. So, um, Monday, January 4th, Tuesday, January 5th, and technically, Wednesday, January 6th, New Year's Dash. Three major shows, New Japan. You're listening, New Japan World. You like paying extra money for stuff that only costs 9.99 yen. Fight TV is selling it on the Fight TV app for 30 bucks. Both nights of Wrestle Kingdom. I have bought that before and it is a good feed. I mean, I'm glad you had a good feed on Fight App because Fight TV is usually crap, to be honest. I've not had issues with them with things like AEW and like American based shit, but like. I have heard of a lot of issues with the app, but I will say the New Japan World app, the feed is really great. The problem with the New Japan World app can be navigation if you're not familiar with it. Andrew, thank you for coming. Where yeah, where can we find you? Yeah, everything you got going. Uh, IWC Warchief on the Twitter and on the chairshot.com. I'll be covering all of the Wrestle Kingdom stuff. Basically, I touch on most things that aren't AEW or WWE, unless it's a really big pay-per-view. But never ROH, because fuck ROH. 
Yeah, you know, we here on the Outsiders Edge are also team fuck ROH. Uh, <laughs> how you got all that fucking money and you still can't promote shit? AEW embarrassed your asses in less than a fucking year. Or how come you don't have a consistent fucking time and why do you stick to syndication for your show? <laughs> Again, AEW embarrassed your asses in under a fucking year. Pathetic. Mm-hmm. But no, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really do appreciate you and are super stoked that you agreed to come on. That um, was bipolar as fuck, Kyle. I as always, <laughs> it was beautiful, though, honestly. Where it goes from fuck to anyway, have a nice day, everybody. Because here... <laughs> I can turn it on a dime. Um, yeah. As always, y'all, you can find me on the Twitters at Dr. S'mores. You can find good brother Carl on the Twitters at Outsider Curvin, and by the way, I'm politicking to uh, get myself one day on the three-man weave permanently, or possibly the four-man weave, whatever it is. Just want to throw that out there. France. <clears throat> okay, that's a thing that's also happening, so look out for that, but shout-out to the three-man weave. Um, shout-out to PC. We love you, man. Um, and you can find Brother Rance on Twitter at it's Ray Cash, R-E-Y as in Mysterio, C-A-S-H, as in dollars. It, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Spelling is hard, everybody. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Yes, everything gets spelled the way it's supposed to, but Ray is spelled like Mysterio. Go look. You, you have a dictionary. You can find the show on Twitter at Outsiders Edge CS, at Outsiders Edge, you're a fucking asshole. Um, we'll get. I'll get you. We'll buy you a whole month's worth of subscriptions to New Japan World. Mm-hmm. You give me if you give me give you nine ninety nine whole yen. You know what? Some whole you, ass we'll, yen, we'll, boys. We'll make it an even ten. And you can keep the penny, bro. <laughs> um, ten yen. I like it. The show is part of the Chair Shot at Chair Shot Media, where you. Always use your appendages, preferably your head. Either one. And as always, y'all remember, we here at the Outsiders Edge are some increasingly less young gentlemen doing everything that we can out here to make it in this world. And sometimes our internet feeds are going to be a little bit inconsistent, and that might piss you off. But I mean, you know, fuck you, man. It's our show. Uh, Sometimes... We're going to have to, you know, explain that New Japan has had an up and down and inconsistent year and we're not as excited for Wrestle Kingdom as we usually are. But no matter what, y'all, we're just out here chasing our dreams. And like, you've got to respect that because if you don't, well, after we survive 2020, we damn sure don't give up. Fuck. As a family, do we say it, yo? One, two, three, fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck them. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.